It's good to see you all. It is always a blessing to stand before you to, un- to preach the Word of God, uh, grateful for His grace. Actually, a year last year, uh, May 23rd, 2020, that I preached in this pulpit, coming down to meet the leaders of the Hill Church uh, to see whether I would come to serve here. And I am greatly grateful. Uh, we'll continue our series through the book of Exodus. Uh, So would you please turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 28. We'll be looking all the way through 31. Exodus 28 through 31. Title for our sermon, for you note takers, is the priesthood in the purpose of God. The priesthood in the purpose of God. Please join me in another word of prayer and we will begin. Father in heaven, we pray to you in Jesus' name. So grateful for Christ, our Savior, the Lord Jesus, our mediator, our King, our Redeemer, our righteousness, our redemption, our sanctification. He is our all in all. Thank you, Lord, for grace, and I thank you for bringing us all here this morning. What a privilege it is, Lord, to breathe your air, uh, to have sound minds uh, that can ponder your greatness, and, Lord, to hear from your word. I pray, Heavenly Father, you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts of flesh to behold the glory of Christ in the gospel. I pray, Heavenly Father... Uh, that your word today would fall on good soil in the hearts of your people. I pray by way of your word and your spirit, uh, many would come to Christ and all would become more like him. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would set our minds' attention and our hearts' affection on you. I pray we'd leave today more captivated by the glory of Jesus Christ, uh, more convicted at the truth of your word, and um, more enabled to endure following you until we see our Savior face to face. Lord, bless this time. Give us focus. Exalt your Your concept of a middleman is a love-hate thing, right? A middleman is a person who can bring two sides together in agreement or a person that facilitates interaction between two parties. If you're selling a house, you love the middleman, being the real estate agent who handles everything between you and the buyer. If you know or just can think of any professional athletes, they love the middlemen of their agents that handle all the contractual matters with the team. A car salesman was a phenomenal middleman between me and my Honda. Multiple brand clothing stores all serve us as middlemen between the actual brand of the clothes and you. And in what is far too often family conflict, there's often a need for someone in that family to play the middleman. We should cut out the middleman. Two parties should directly deal with each other. 
Plus, it avoids increased cost and unnecessary secondhand communication. I want to tell you this this morning. That may be cost-effective for business, but that mentality, cut out the middleman, would bring grave consequences with God. Unholy sinners like us need someone between us and the holy God. Pastor Jimmy said last week, preaching on the tabernacle, where God's presence dwelt amongst the nation of Israel, he said God will dwell with them, but if he was to stay with them, he had to be worshipped as distinct from them. For worship can only happen through the means God, that God prescribes and appoints that his people must have high priests who serve as middlemen, or more appropriately, as mediators between them and God, the Holy One. Last week we learned of the construction of the tabernacle. In the text before us, we'll see those who ministered in the tabernacle, the high priest of Israel, which ultimately point us to the great high priest. So my main idea today, my central truth to present to you from this text, is that God provided the office of high priest because as sinners we need a mediator to dwell with God. God provided the office of high priest because as sinners we need a mediator to dwell with God. We'll have four headings for these four chapters. The first one being chapter 28, the priests of God. The priests of God. Read with me Exodus chapter 2 speaking. He says, Then bring near to you Aaron, your brother, speaking to Moses, and his sons with him from among the people of Israel, to serve me as priests. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu and Eleazar and Ithamar, and you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with the spirit of skill, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. These are the garments that they shall make, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checkerwork, a turban, and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother and his sons to serve me as priests. God is the established the priesthood to mediate between him and his people. And this is honestly infinite compassionate condescension. Their covenant, their God's covenant nation, but still they're a sinful people in need of mediators and high priests. And God goes the length to provide that for them, to give them specific detail on how that is to come about. They needed mediators and high priests who alone could enter the holy place and, and enter the most holy place on once a year on the Day of Atonement. Look back with me to verse 1. What we'll see here is that the high priests were from among the people and for the people. The high priest was from among the people and for the people, which shows us that God uses regular people by His grace to further His mission. Aaron and his sons, God graciously called them and called them by name. 
to his service. We look at verse 2. This is what this chapter is really all about. We see there it says for glory and for beauty. The garments of the high priest were to be set apart, distinct and different. You were supposed to see the high priest in their garments and know exactly who they were and exactly what they did. It's like a construction worker today in the orange vest and the hard hat. You would know oh, he's, they're, they're, they're a construction worker or an air stewardess on an airplane. It's just obvious who they are. Or a doctor in his doctor's coat or a nurse in the scrubs or whatever. What people wear often tells us what they do. And God wanted the high priest to be set apart, holy and consecrated to them for their, for their tasks. They were to be dedicated and devoted to God. And the holy garments tell of their holy task. The purpose of the priesthood was for the high priest to represent the people and approach God on behalf of... We see God speak of what the garments will all consist of. A breast piece, which will have 12, 12 jewels on it that represent the people of Israel. An ephod, which was the sleeveless vest that kind of looks like, a, like, a, um, like an apron. And then you have the coat with checkered sleeves that's kind of the long sleeve get-up they got on. Uh, these are the holy garments, the holy priesthood. And these garments are all made from the same material as the tabernacle, showing how the high priests are those who were directly in the very presence of God. So verses 6 through 14 show us the details of how the ephod was to be skillfully worked with gold, blue, purple, scarlet yarns, and linen. And on the shoulders there, there to be two onyx stones with Israel's names, the names of the twelve tribes, engraved on them because the high priest went before God. And if you look to verse 12 of Exodus 28, it says, And you shall set... Two, and you shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. These are stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. The high priests were bearing their names before God, and God, through the high priest, remembers them with grace, mercy, and atoning love through their ministry. In Exodus 28, there's a bit of a theme of remembrance. That word is repeated over and over with the ministry of the high priest. And it's because through their mediating work, the high priest graciously uncovers their sins it's like if a family member who you weren't going to see for a little while was to give you a necklace or a bracelet or something of value and say, this is for you to remember me by. These things were like God giving the high priest saying, I'm going to give you this onyx stone. It's going to have Israel's name engraved on it. And I'm giving it to you so that I will remember them by that. God wants to remember them graciously and favorably through the work of the high priest. 
Then in, then in verses 15 through 30 of chapter 28, we see the details of the breast piece, the breast piece that skillfully worked, which was on the ephod, the apron kind of looking thing. Uh, it's a breast piece of judgment, the uh, text says. Because in verse 30, uh, it, it, it will later say that Aaron the high priest will bear the judgment of Israel before the Lord in the holy place as he represents them. Meaning that he's going to make sacrifice, then provides a sacrifice for their sins as the high priest. But look with me to verses 17 through 21. We're going to read them. God speaking to Moses still says, You shall set in it, so the breastpiece, four rows of stones, a row of sardius, topaz, and carbuncle shall be the first row, and the second row, an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond, and the third row, jacinth, and a gate, and, and um, 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 a mythias. When it's hard for me to say a word, I start to stutter a little bit. And the fourth row of beryl and onyx and, and, and a jasper, they shall be set in gold filigree. There shall be twelve stones with their names according to the names of the sons of Israel. They shall be like signet, the twelve tribes. So this is God speaking here. And he's talking about twelve precious gems, jewels, diamonds, and stones. And that tells us something about how God prizes his people. These stones representing Israel, these jewels, these gems, God selected, which will be in the new heavens and new earth. They're mentioned in Revelation, which were in the Garden of Eden. These precious stones God created wants them to represent his covenant people, Israel, because he loves them. When I first started dating my fiance Cassidy, I wrote her something and told her in it that she's like a jewel to me, because I love her, I value her. But in the same way, in Exodus 19:5, God has told Israel that they are His treasured possession, is His redeemed people, even to this very day. For the church is the precious blood-bought bride of Christ. We are a purchased and prized people in Christ, nourished and cherished by Jesus. God prizes his people and chooses to identify them with the most precious of treasures that Israel had in the wilderness. And in verses 29 through 30, it speaks of how the high priests are to enter into the holy place bearing the judgment of God's prized people on his heart. Because even as covenant-prized and redeemed people, they're still sinful people in need of a mediator, as we in the church still show today. God says in verse 30 that the high priests are to do this, the original, exactly what it communicates in English. They're to do these sacrifices, to bear this judgment continually, constantly, daily. This was every day to bring, go on to describe the high priestly robe, specifically the bottom hem of the robe, the bottom pieces of it. 
which had little crafted pomegranates and golden bells on them. So as the high priest would be walking into the tabernacle and the holy place and all of that, Israel and everyone around would hear those golden bells. And the noise of the bells were reminders of the sacred task that they're going before the Lord into the holy place. Kind of like in old America, just old school, when they had the church bells, and it would tell the city of the sacred hour of the gathering of God's people. That's what these bells did for the people of Israel. Also, the bells let the other high priests know when the high priest that was in the holy place was in there, that he was still alive, that the holiness of God hadn't killed him in some way because of wrongly ministering in the holy place. In verses 36 through 38, we see the details of a signet of gold on there that said, Holy to the Lord, signifying that the high priest needed to be holy. And as the holy ones they would bear the guilt of Israel regularly, day by day, year after year, that the sinful people may be accepted by God. They were constantly serving as high priests, as sin-bearing, sacrifice-giving mediators. Sounds familiar, right? Anticipating the true holy mediator who would bear, sin, who would bear the sins of God's people once and for all. Well, this shows us that God desires to accept his people whom he has chosen. God will not compromise his holiness and just throw sin under the rug. But God has him in sinful people. Verses 39 through 43 just give details of that checkered coat, that long sleeve shirt that's under the ephod and the priest's undergarments, really just their underwear. And that may seem odd, uh, why is direction given for that? But it was very important because pagan nations in that time with their false idols would incorporate nudity and just immoral acts in appeasing the idols for fertility or just anything else. So God is telling them here, you need to cover up completely. I'm holy and you must approach me in holiness. Obviously, we're going fast because there's four chapters here. But I do want to give you guys some simple application. Uh, first being that we must worship God as holy. He is a holy God and we must worship him as such. He is serious about sin, but he is also serious about saving center of the tabernacle where the mercy seat's at. So we must reverence God as holy, but recognize our need for a high priest and mediator because we are sinners before a holy God. And that high priest, that priest, that mediator, it's not a Catholic priest. It's not Mary. It's not any saints who have passed on or some saint Alive today, it's not your works or your doing of any sort to get you to God. You can't mediate yourself to God, and a fellow sinner can't do it either. It's Jesus Christ alone is the mediator and the great high priest that we need. 
Jesus said it plainly in John 14:6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can, in 1 Timothy 2, 5, and 6, says, for there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. We come to God through Christ and only through Christ. Understand that today, Christian, and celebrate that through Jesus you have complete access to God and access to God by way of His grace. And if you're here today and do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, understand this, there is no getting to God on your own apart from receiving His judgment, condemnation, and wrath because of your sin. There's no way you can get to Him alone. There's no priest that can do it. There's no confession you can go to. There's no saint in heaven that is concerned with a sinner and going to make you get there. That's not how it works. You must come to God through the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone. It's Jesus who lived righteously the life you didn't live. It's Jesus who died on the cross as the perfect sacrifice. Jesus who rose again in victory over sin and death. It's Jesus who said, come to me. All who were weary and burdened by your sins, and he alone can give rest for your soul. He is the mediator that you need. He is the only way to God. He is the Son of God and God himself, and he's bidding you to come with arms open of grace and mercy. This is the mediator that you need, and his name is Jesus. God is holy, but he's provided a mediator for us in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I also want to encourage you, church, to see from this chapter 28 that God uses regular people. In verse 1 of chapter 28, it says, Bring near to you Aaron your brother and his sons with them from among the people of Israel. He didn't go out and get some people from another nation that's been waiting for this process. He didn't go to Mars or somewhere else. He got people from the nation to serve the nation on his behalf. Don't ever believe the lie that God can't use. Chapter 1 verse 9 says, God saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. The same grace that saved you, God will give you in order for you to serve him. God wants to use you. And the treasure is the gospel. We are just jars of clay. God wants to use you for his glory. All of you Christians here have good works that God has already prepared beforehand for you. You have a purpose in this generation for God's glory and for the good of his people and the advancement of the gospel. God uses regular people like me and you by his grace. The same grace that saved us is the grace that God will use for us to serve him. God uses regular people by his grace. So pray for your pastors. Pray for your pastors. They are regular people who need your prayers. Every pastor is a saved sinner. Pray for your pastors. There's unique, it's a unique calling with unique pressures. And they need your prayers. And I guarantee there's no pastor who wouldn't be grateful to hear that you're praying for them. We're all regular people that God saves and uses by his grace. And we ought to be grateful for that. God has provided the office of high priest 
Because as sinners, we need a mediator to dwell with God. We've seen in chapter 28, the priests of God. Now we come to chapter 29, the presence of God. The presence of God. Chapter 29 teaches us there's no entering the presence of God without atonement for sin. Even for these high priests. But God still provides a way. Because his, because his mission and his purpose is to dwell with his people for the glory of his great name. So let's look to verse 1 of chapter 29. It says, now this is what, that they may serve me as priest. So everything following in this chapter is how the high priests were consecrated. That's a word that means ordained for ministry, for this task. They were set apart and dedicated to God for his service. And the rest of verses 1 through 3 describe in detail the sacrificial animals and food offerings that the high priest had to give for themselves in order for them to dwell in the presence of the holy God. Verses 4 through 9 of chapter 29 describe how Moses was to bring Aaron and his sons to the tent of meeting, to the tabernacle, and they had to be washed with, wa- they had to be washed with water, which is the first major hint that these high priests pointed to something greater to come because even they needed spiritual cleansing. Verses 5 through 8 describe all of the holy garments being put on Aaron, including being poured on with the anointing oil for the ministry. You have to just pause there and picture the scene. Aaron and his sons, these holy garments being put on them and them anointed with the anointing oil of the Lord. You have to just sit back and ask, have you ever been tasked with something so glorious that you can sense your unworthiness? Just as it began or as you were told you have to do this? I feel it almost every time I have to preach. But can you imagine Aaron and his sons here? The holy garments of the Lord? To be high priest of the covenant people of God? It's reminiscent of the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians 15.9 He said, I'm unworthy to be an apostle. But 1 Corinthians 15.10 He said, but by the grace of God I am what I am. 2 Corinthians 4.1, Paul says, we have this ministry happening here is a praise to God's glorious and majestic mercy upon his people. And make no mistake, throughout redemptive history, every servant of God is a sinner before God that has received grace and mercy from him. That includes you and me and every other Christian has ever served the Lord. In verses 10 through 14, it tells us of the sin offering, not for the Israelite people, but for the high priest. Even the high priest who would mediate for the people with God had to give sacrifices for their sin. They first had to give their own sin offering to satisfy God's holy wrath against their sin. In and of themselves, they were sinners. And they had to be purified through the sacrifice of a substitute. Look at verse 10 of chapter 29. It says, Then you shall bring the bull before the tent of meeting, and on the head of the bull. Those words, lay their hands, are so incredibly important. 
It speaks of transference that's happening. A transferring of their sins to, to the animal itself, to the sacrificial animal. Their sins were being transferred to the substitute sacrifice who was then slain in their place. In the blood of that animal covered their guilt. Even the high priest needed this. In verses 15 through 18, we just see another substitute sacrifice for the priests to atone for their sin and to further dedicate them to God's service. Verses 19 through 20, yet another substitutionary sacrifice to atone for their sin and further their consecration. And here, it's in 19 through 21, it's like a dedication concept. Uh, you can read it. It says... You shall take the other ram, and Aaron and his sons, of his sons, and on the thumbs of their right hands, and on their great toes of their right feet, and throw the rest of the blood against the sides of the altar. Then you shall take part of the blood that is on the altar, and, and on the anointing oil, and sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments, and on his sons and his sons' garments with him. He and his garments shall be holy, and his sons and his sons' garments with him." So the blood on the fingers and the ears and the toes, it speaks of their consecration. It speaks of their full dedication to God. It's a symbolic act of dedication. They're to hear, walk, and act for God's purpose. Their ears were put blood on there so they, could, so they would use their ears to hear the word of God. On their thumbs with their hands to do the work of God. And the blood on their feet to walk in the way of God. So it was a symbolizing of their full dedication to the Lord. But then we go on. In verses 22 through 34, we see a ram of ordination. And there's a wave offering and a peace offering, which signified reconciliation and peace with God. And then 31 through 34, they ate of this ram. In verse 35, we see it's a seven-day process of atonement, of their sins having to be covered by, by the blood of another. In dedication, it's a huge process to uphold holiness. Then in 38 through 42, there's, we, we're told of the sacrifices after they're consecrated and given to the ministry. It's daily offerings of the priests, giving of lambs for the people. I mean, this is just a lot of offerings and details and really a lot of death of animal sacrifices. But it's all to the end of verses 42 through 45. God says, It shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generation, right here, where I will meet with you, to speak to you there. There I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons, I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. What's the point of redemption all these sacrifices, all these offerings to dwell with God. 
And not only to dwell with God, but to know Him as our God. To be sanctified, transformed by His glory, relational presence, as were you, Christian, in Christ. And this matters for you today because this is your future with Christ. No matter what you're going through today that brings groaning to your soul, you have a hope of glory in Jesus, eternal life of knowing and dwelling with God, and the Holy Spirit within you now as the guarantee of that inheritance. And Jesus himself wants you in glory. In John 17, 24, his prayer before his arrest and the whole crucifixion process, he ends the prayer by saying this, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. He is that you may behold his glory in his presence, dwelling with him and all else fade away. This matters to us because this is not just something we look at in the past for Israel. We know we have the Spirit within us now, and this is our very future, our everlasting hope to dwell with God. And even more, Exodus 28 and 29 are deeply encouraging to us because they tell us that Jesus is better. And he is our perfect high priest. The book of Hebrews says that Jesus is the great and final high priest. The high priest of our confession. Our high priest forever. The high priest of the good things that have come. And the high priest, not over the tabernacle in a wilderness, but a high priest over the house of God in heaven we see in this chapter that Aaron and all of the high priests in the Old Testament needed sacrifices for their sins before they could do anything for people. But Jesus is better. In his glorious sinlessness, he needed no and yet without sin. He's our sinless high priest. Hebrews seven twenty six through 28 say this, For it was indeed fitting that we should ascend, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. Since he did this, one law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. But the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Jesus is better, my brothers and sisters, because in him we have a high priest who is perfect forever. Aaron, in the Old Testament, high priests dealt gently with people and could empathize with fellow sinners because of their weakness and their sin. Because as the eternal Son of God, who also became man, he is a better sinless identifier with humanity. Hebrews 2 and Hebrews 4 teach us that Jesus became a man so that he could help us and sympathize with us in our weaknesses. And precisely because he never sinned, he actually knows what it's like to endure temptation to the, full ex to the fullest extent. 
Jesus felt the full wind of temptation and never laid down. We feel the smallest wind of temptation and fall out. Jesus felt the fullness of it and was still without sin. He never gave in on our behalf. And this tells us that Jesus is our high priest. He does not need rescue. He provides it. Jesus is better. He's not a fellow drowner in sin. He's a savior because he provides rescue from sin and his rescue doesn't come through the blood of animals which really doesn't take away sin at all. That's why it had to be repeated day after day after day. Jesus provides our redemption through the blood of his cross. Jesus is both the high and the sacrifice and the substitute that was slain for our sins on the cross once and for all. Jesus bearing our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Jesus taking all of our sins, being pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. God's wrath poured out on him on the cross once and for all. He's both the high priest and the substitute, the high priest and the spotless lamb of God. He's the sacrifice, the mediator, and the high priest who who tears the veil who brings us into the presence of the Lord. Jesus is better, my brothers and sisters, as our high priest. And last, Jesus is better because he ministers for us. Not He is our high priest in heaven. My brother and sister, Jesus represents you before God in heaven right now. Jesus sits as your great high priest. Sits because... His work is finished, but sits as your great high priest on your behalf, for your sake. And Jesus died for our sins, but rose again, never to die again. And that is precisely why He can save us. He saves us and preserves us to the uttermost and always lives to make intercession for us. There's never a moment or a day that we are unprayed for. Jesus and his inseparable love is interceding for his people, praying for us as our great high priest. This Jesus, what a high priest we have in him. Exodus 29 points us to the true high priest we have in Jesus. We are to know him by faith and to draw near to God through him. And it's through him that we draw near to a throne of grace where we receive mercy. Draw near to this Christ today if you do not know him. You need a high priest and there's none like him. Believe or treasure him all the more. But the New Testament also makes clear that we are a royal priesthood through Christ. We are to live in this world as grateful worshipers, as holy people, and for God on behalf of others appointed and filled with His Spirit. Praise God. Praise God. God has provided this office of high priest which is ultimately fulfilled in Christ because as sinners, we need a mediator to dwell with God. We've seen the priest of God, the presence of God. Now we'll come to Exodus 30, practical matters for fellowship with God. Practical matters for fellowship with God. In verses 1 through 10, 
we see God give instruction on the altar of incense. The altar of incense where perfumes uh, would come up uh, right before them that the priest would see before they enter into the most holy place. There's a lot to say here, but the whole of Scripture really makes plain that the altar of incense represents the prayers of God's people. It's completely gold, and its details matter because our prayers matter to God. The beautiful aroma of that incense is consistently said in Scripture to be symbolic of the prayers of God's people. The people of God are always to be a praying God, and our prayers are received joyfully from our Maker. Verses 11 through 16 speaks of a poll census tax for the tabernacle. When this, and uh, this poll census tax, tax served as another picture of the ransom price paid uh, for their life. And everyone paid the same price in this tax because they're all equal members of the covenant community. And in verses 17 through 21 of Exodus 30, we see God speak of the bronze basin. And this is where the priests had to wash their hands and their feet before they even enter the tabernacle at all uh, for their priestly duties. And that really tells us that even the high priest and certainly us today, as God's children, we can't approach God in a casual manner. In verses 22 through 30, for making and using the anointing oil and the incense, uh, nine times in this section you see the word holy used. They couldn't use this oil or this incense for any other purpose but their holy pur- pur- purposes. And this tells us yet again that God sets the terms for how we approach and worship. They had to get things right. It's a privilege to have these details, to know how they were to approach God, to worship and commune with him. And today, as followers of Christ, we must worship God as he has prescribed, in spirit and truth and according to his word, with much prayer and in the name of our mediator and great high pull of this, in knowing and following God. Exodus 31 brings us to our final heading. We've seen the priest of God, the presence of God, practical matters for fellowship with God. Now we come in Exodus 31 to people in the presence of God. People in the presence of God. So have been given. Uh, They're set out and they're clear. The priesthood is in place. We see that God wills to involve his people in this process. Verses 1 through 11 God calls two men by name, Bezalel and his assistant, Oholiab. Uh, God filled them with his spirit purposes in constructing the tabernacle, rather than how we would understand it in the New Covenant context. But they were given the spirit for this special purpose of constructing the tabernacle and to make the holy garments of the priest. And they were also blessed with ability and intelligence, knowledge and craftsmanship, to bring about all that God and that we're doing all of this. And this is significant for multiple reasons. Verses 1 through 11 here, speaking of God calling these people to construct all of this. First, we see that God filled them with the Spirit and anointed them and gave them ability for what we would probably call 
regular things today, like administrative tasks to make all the tabernacle instructions come about, organizational things, construction, sewing, furnishing, putting stuff together. That's what they were doing. That's what they were filled with the Spirit for. It's not the spiritual stuff, as we would often think, like preaching, praying, evangelism, worship through song. Those things matter greatly. But I want to show you that so do greeting, making coffee, hospitality, painting, woodworking, like this pulpit right here, administrative tasks, being good with kids in the children's ministry, doing cleaning, everything that actually has to happen uh, for a church to function well, that we may serve people with the Word of God and point them to the Gospel. Video, landscaping, the church needs all of this. And God has gifted us all uniquely and diversely. So there's no place in the church to compare or to covet. These two men shouldn't be looking at Aaron or Moses and saying, why can't I have that role? Why can't I be doing this? When God had gifted, we're called to be faithful, to obey and to serve God, however he's wired us and called us to, with our eyes on Christ. However God's gifted you, and wherever there's need, serve there. It's important. It's eternally important and requires the Spirit and is for the good of the church and the glory of God. Second, this is significant because it just shows us that we need the Spirit of God to enable us to serve God's people and serve. And that's what our gifts are for, to serve people and to worship God, not to garner attention for ourselves, but to glorify Him. But we have to be a people spirit within us. And in verses 12 through 18, God reemphasizes the Sabbath as the sign of the Mosaic Covenant and a command. The phrase of God writing on the tablets of stone that Moses has with the finger of God. It's just a phrase in Scripture that shows the person and work of God in history. Because all of these instructions are a lot of work on top of probably regular life responsibilities. Who's to say these two men didn't have families? Real, Just whatever their regular life looked like. But this call didn't make room or didn't take away the need for them to disobey God. Huge tabernacle problem. No matter what you're called to by God, that's never an excuse to disobey God. They still had to keep the Sabbath. God's work is an excuse to not obey God. God's work has to be done God's way. Work and rest. And for Israel, it looked like keeping the Sabbath. And it's rest. We need to. Even today, though, we need rest physically so that we can reflect on the true soul rest that we have in Christ. Chapters show us. I think it's that we can't afford to cut out the middleman. God provided the office of high priest because as sinners we need a mediator to dwell with God. And what a mediator, what a high priest, what a friend we have in Jesus. Blameless and righteous is he, not needing any sacrifice for himself, 
And then who but Jesus would once and for all sacrifice for the sins of others, for the sins of you and me? Who else but Jesus would humble himself to be our substitute, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world? Only Jesus' blood washes clean and sets free. Only Jesus' direction and only Jesus entered the holy places in heaven on our behalf, for our sake, intercedes for us without end. Before the throne of God above, only one name matters. And that's Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, your great high priest. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Father, for your kindness to your people of old in providing high priests that they may commune with you. And I thank you, God, that in the fullness of redemptive history, you have provided the true mediator who needs no sacrifice of his own and yet becomes the sacrifice for us, who sympathizes with us, who helps us, who intercedes for us and provides the perfect atonement. Thank you for Jesus. Help us to serve, follow, love, and adore Him.